and welcome to another episode of As the World Turns with Nicolette. Um, I'm Nicolette. So I did that thing again. I recorded the whole like half an hour of the podcast, was not comfortable with it, and decided to re-record because why would you want to put out something that you're not comfortable with? Um, so this month's topic of discussion is the dynamics of change. And if you have not read the blog post, I would suggest you read it. We're talking about change in all different like aspects of life. And I started the discussion or I started the introductory parts of the discussion in the blog post talking just about my fear and how fear really holds you back from accepting change. And I used a very recent example of the last blog post I did, which was kind of Avengeresque. Um like the movie Avengers, it was about um, Thanos and how his sort of view on life um, overlaps with current issues within organized religion and overpopulation. And I was afraid to post that because it felt like I was bearing a part of my soul or a part of my my thought processes that I would not usually bear, you know, and even though I'm very candid in my discussions on the the blog and even here, I just felt like it was something that I don't normally share with a wider audience outside of the person I'm talking to about it. So yeah, that was that was difficult for me to share. So I got over that first obstacle of wanting to write it and share it on the blog. But then where it became a bit more um, difficult was to do the podcast, which I didn't do, if, you'd reali- if you realized. Um, because I just felt like ew, I couldn't come to terms with having to speak about this. So writing it feels like two degrees of separation, but having to like talk about it and have audio and to edit this audio repeatedly... I couldn't bring myself to do it. So we all know that fear has been just this overarching theme in my life where it's basically crippling my, I don't know, creativity or thoughts I've had about things. I'm I'm very fearful and fear has been one of the things keeping me back from maybe actualizing my full potential. Who knows? But what I am trying to work on, though, for the rest of this year is maybe stepping a bit more out of fear and into, like, faith, acceptance of change, and just being ready to accept the consequences of those changes. So if I accomplish even one thing that I was fearful of doing a few years ago, by the end of this year, then I believe that that would be a success. So let's go into it. Let's get into the dynamics of change. So what I'm going to talk about on the podcast is... I'm not going to repeat what's on the blog post. Who wants to hear me reading the blog post on the podcast? Nobody wants that. So I found two articles. One from goodtherapy.org and one from Psychology Today. Now one is really sciencey. Okay? It gets into all the brain neurons and all those activities. And then the other one is kind of psychological and then talks about the stages of change model that I shared on the blog. So the first article I want to read is Why is Change So Hard? The Power of Habits in the Human Brain. And this is by Dr. Mona Fishbane. And she's a contributor for goodtherapy.org. And she's also um, an expert in neurobiology. 
So I'm just going to read some of the points that she made here because I thought they were very salient points. I have a few of them, so listen up. So she says, everything we do, feel, or think is reflected in circuits of neurons in our brains. Neurons or brain cells communicate with each other at a gap called the synapse. I hope that's how you pronounce that. <laughs> One neuron releases chemicals called neurotransmitters into the synaptic space where it is picked up by the receptors of the next neuron. There are billions of neurons in the human brain. Each neuron connects with up to 10,000 other neurons, resulting in trillions of synaptic connections. These interconnected neurons become circuits that underlie our habits. <laughs> That's why things are so difficult to change and accept. Um, the more we do something, for example, eat nuts while watching TV, ride a bike, play an instrument, study a new language, the stronger the neuronal circuit becomes that supports that habit. Donald Hebb, a Canadian neuroscientist in the 1940s, noted that once a circuit of neurons is formed, when one neuron fires, the others fire as well, strengthening the whole circuit. Wow. This is known as the Hebbian theory. Neurons that fire together, wire together. Thank you for being a friend. <laughs> so then she goes on to say, circuits of neurons maintain our habits and our habits strengthen our neuronal circuits. The biobehavioral influence goes both ways. So what we do repeatedly, the neurons start to pick up on and fire because that's what they, uh, that's the, the information they're getting. And then because we keep continuing these habits, it strengthens the neuronal circuits and forms bigger circuits. And then it's a whole system going there. So you are what you do. Scientists have shown that experience changes the connection between neurons. Everything you do changes your brain. If you begin an activity that eventually becomes a ritual, then that habit will become wired into your neuronal circuits. Your behavior will change the structure of your brain. This is a rather sobering thought. So from this perspective, you are what you do, so be careful what you do. The more you do something, the more likely you are to do it in the future. The habit-driven brain doesn't distinguish between good and problematic behaviors. It just builds repeated behaviors, thoughts, and feelings into stronger and stronger neuronal circuits. So it doesn't know right from wrong. What it does is just it's repeating this because you are repeating it. So what is a person to do? Are we doomed to live on automatic pilot driven by our lower brain and our habits? So then are we prisoners of our habits? Mona says here, we do have a choice. We can mindlessly play out problematic behaviors over and over again, become essentially prisoners of our own habits. Or we can step back, use our higher brains and reflect on our actions. Now she uses a personal example here. After three nights of her new TV nuts habits, that's she was eating peanuts while watching TV, she realized she was acting like an automaton. And she didn't like it, so she made a choice using her prefrontal cortex, the part of the brain that allows you to think about what you do. So even though we are creatures of habit, we can stop it in its tracks and become creatures of change and adaptation. So it turns out that although we are creatures of habit, as I just said, humans are also creatures of change and adaptation. Our brains are constantly changing in response to our changing environment. Our adaptability is a secret to our success as a species. The challenge is to harness our adaptability and use it toward positive ends, to make choices about who we are in the world. 
You don't have complete freedom to create yourself though, because you do come with genetic gifts and limitations, but you have more power to become the person you want to be than you might think. So while we think we can't do this because we're so afraid of this thing, we definitely can overcome and be able to accept change. I'm sure we've all heard speakers talk about FAIR, F-E-A-R, false evidence appearing real. But I also found this on Google, a comparatively cool meaning for change, C-H-A-N-G-E, creating hope and nurturing genuine empowerment. Who doesn't want genuine empowerment? Come on, let's let go of FAIR and embrace that genuine empowerment. But it's going to be difficult because it's hard to change behavior. Things we've been doing for years on end, how we've been uh, responding to stimuli, it's difficult to change or rewire your brain based on these things. So the article from Psychology Today by Catherine Schreiber and Dr. Heather Hausenbloss, I hope that's how you say that, is entitled, Why is Change So Hard? Altering our behavior takes time and it often involves backtracking. So they begin with a definition of change. Verb, make or become different. Noun, the act or instance of making or becoming different. No change. The mere mention of this word may cause some to feel uneasy. We often find ourselves resisting change, perhaps because of the perceived fear or risk associated with it. Ding, 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 ding. Um, This resistance can be seen in the student who always finds him or herself procrastinating. That's me. The 10-year-old smoker who keeps... The 10-year smoker. Wow. Wow. That would have been a really, really... No, you cannot have a 10-year-old smoker. So the 10-year smoker who keeps having one more cigarette or the overly stressed boss who continues to add to his or her plate. It's an interesting predicament we put ourselves in. So why do we have such a hard time initiating or following through with our desire to change? A renowned psychologist, James Prochaska, proposed that we often find ourselves in the previously described predicaments as a result of our perception of change. Behavioral change is rarely a discrete or single event. However, we tend to view it in such a way. More often than not, behavior change occurs gradually over time hence the trans-theoretical model of behavior change created by Prochaska. It identifies the various stages through which individuals move when attempting to adjust old habits to form new ones. A linear progression through the stages is not the norm. Individuals tend to move back and forth through the stages, recycling through them until the change becomes fully established. While we have such a difficult time following through with these desired changes, may perhaps be better understood through an exploration of Prochaska's stages of change. So that's, this is the stages of change model uh, I had used. Um, I did say in the blog post that it was created initially to describe um, how one progresses through smoking cessation or other kinds of addiction. So this is now, they're using this on a broader kind of spectrum to talk about overall behavior change. So as we come to gain knowledge behind the meaning and function of each stage, we may gain a further understanding of where we stand in regards to our own progress. By identifying where we are in the process, we can then shape and guide our goals to assist us in moving from one stage to the next. Now, this is just for information purposes, so we understand how difficult it is to change our behavior, because I really don't think someone is going to go through all these different steps. 
um, on paper when they're trying to change behavior, but just for us to understand what happens with our brain and um, our social functions when we're trying to change behavior. So the first step is pre-contemplation. The first stage of change is one in which individuals may be aware of the behavioral change they desire. However, they have no conscious intention of altering, changing, or stopping this behavior. Oftentimes, this may be due to a lack of insight or full awareness into their problems. One may also find themselves in this stage due to numerous unsuccessful attempts to change that have led them to give up trying. It is also within this stage that individuals' desire to change may be strongly influenced by pressure from others who are aware of their problem. So yeah, so this state of pre-contemplation is kind of, you're aware of the behavior that you're, you're doing. You're kind of aware of what you would want to be doing, but you don't see where those two things connect. You don't see a kind of path to go from this behavior to that behavior. Um, you may be possibly considering some of the cons of the behavior that you're doing, but you're not consciously trying to change at this point. Now, the next stage, which you will get to through some kind of motivation, is contemplation. The contemplation stage of change is characterized by having further insight and awareness into the behavior that is up for debate. At this stage, an individual acknowledges that they have a problem and begins an internal debate about pursuing change. This can be the most difficult and frustrating stage of change as it entails a high level of uncertainty. A substantial amount of time may be spent in this stage because many people may not find themselves ready to commit to making a change. They may remain in this stage, perhaps feeling stuck as they go back and forth between measuring the benefits and costs of the behavior change. Now, this is a difficult point. Well, one thing is to identify the behavior. Another thing is to identify why you should be changing the behavior. So this is definitely a back and forth stage. Like, is it really going to benefit me? What's the point of moving on? I do have the motivation to kind of change, but is it really worth it? That kind of back and forth. Um, usually, it's noted here that you can sit down, or usually it is helpful rather to sit down with pen and paper, write out those thoughts, write down the pros and cons see what your life is now versus what your life could be kind of thing so preparation is the next stage now individuals progress to the preparation stage of change upon committing to the intention to change in the immediate future the advantages of making said change have been established as outweighing the costs that 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 it might incur it is at this stage that one may begin to actually take or experiment with small steps towards change typically within the period of one month What makes or breaks whether an individual progresses through this stage to the next is their commitment to exploring, planning, and ensuring. Thinking through all the possible avenues towards change, explore how you will achieve the change that you desire. So for me, one example is um, going to the gym. So those times when I wanted to start going to the gym again because I've been making and breaking this fitness habit for a while but when i didn't have a plan like what days i would do leg workouts or what days i would do abs and those things i was always not very consistent so i would fluctuate through preparation and probably going back to pre-contemplation like why do i still need to go to the gym i don't think anything is wrong with my body but then the reasons for me to go regarding my health uh, were pretty strong so then what i started to do was to say to plan out a routine for every day and that has actually kept me going even for my 15 millionth time going to the gym to achieve fitness 
Now, the next stage is the action stage. When individuals move from planning to doing, they progress to the action stage of change. Someone within this change has put his or her plans into action and have significant behavioral changes within the past one to six months. By adhering to our plans, we have made substantial adjustments to our relationships, routines, environment, and perhaps even to ourselves in order to further the change we desire. This may be the stage during which the most commitment is required, and it may be essential for someone moving through it to delegate a large amount of time to sticking to his or her plans for behavior change. It's added here that a very common experience you may have during this stage is increased pressure or negative feedback from those who played a role in an individual's undesired behavior. All right. So one example I have of this now is um, my process, my journey to baptism. So I didn't want... I wanted to get baptized. I knew that. I definitely played around with what are the pros and cons kind of thing but i know i wanted to get baptized um i knew i wanted to push that further level and i made preparations i started going to um baptismal class and all these things and i have made a whole list of devotions that i need to be doing and bible verses and i had a whole thing going um and then i was just stuck in the preparation stage for a very long time and then Moving to the action stage, somebody actually pushed me to do it because he, we were do, going through the same kind of thing. We were kind of fluctuating with the idea and we had been going to the same classes. And then one day he said to me, no, I'm going to get baptized if you want to or not. If you're coming or not, I'm going. I was like, ah, oh, shit, maybe I should go then. Yeah, so he, he helped to push me in that direction. There were lots of people who were also pulling me away from it. Like, how will your life will change and this is not going to be the same and yada yada. But I think in the action stage, it, it's helpful to focus more on things that are pushing you towards the behavior that you want to do. Um, and then you will put it plans in place to deal with the behaviors that are pulling you away from. Or the people that are pulling you away from the desired behavior. Um, yes. So the next stage is maintenance. In the maintenance stage, your once desired behavior is now a reality and it has been for the past six months. An individual may come to realize that the one thing they doubted they could do is actually possible. Your new behavior is firmly established and the threat of returning to old behaviors becomes less intense or frequent. Out of all the stages, this stage is by far the most important. It is through this stage that an individual will work towards sustaining long-term change. The possibility of relapsing to old behaviors and recycling through the stages may also be present. So it's important to continue planning for events that might trigger your old behaviors to reappear. So in the planning stages, it's not only about planning to change a behavior, but also planning to maintain the behavior. When these things come up, what will you do to counteract going to your old behavioral traits? And this is where the hard work comes in. That's why it's so hard to change. Nobody realizes how hard it is to change someone's behavior, right? Going through all this. Because you really, you literally have to retrain your brain. I remember Mona, Dr. Mona Fishbane in the previous article was saying how many neurons are firing off because you've always done this one thing in this one way. So to be able to change that using your prefrontal cortex is the power that you have. But it will take some time for all these little billions of of cells 
to now change from firing off for that behavior to firing off to, for another one. So the article ends with change is not something that typically occurs in a linear fashion. Returning to problematic behaviors is often a part of the game. If you find yourself fluctuating back and forth between the stages, view this as an opportunity to learn more about yourself. Reassess your desired behavior, analyze your plan, and continue on the path toward bettering yourself. What? This is amazing. So basically everything I said, but times a million, um, is what these two ladies, three ladies rather, have said. Um, definitely let go of fear, embrace change, and unleash your empowerment. And in other interesting news this month, I recently joined Medium. And if you don't know what Medium is, it's basically Facebook, but for articles. <laughs> I hope you understand what I'm saying here. But um, I will leave a link to the article I found on Medium. And it's entitled, The Most Important Skill Nobody Taught You by Zatarino. And in this article, he is talking about Blaise Pascal. And if anybody did IT, they would know who Blaise Pascal is. Basically, the founding father of physics and math and all those things he died at 39 which is not uncommon in the 40s but he did leave behind an amazing legacy that bright minds of the ages that came after him were able to build on but he also had an interesting philosophy and that is what Zarina is talking about so i highlighted a few points i wanted to share with you from this article because i thought they were very very important to note at this time in our lives so he said information technologies have dominated our cultural direction From the telephone to the radio to the TV to the internet, we have found ways to bring us all closer together, enabling constant worldly access. But the downsides are also beginning to show. Beyond the current talk about privacy and data collection, there is perhaps an even more detrimental side effect here. We now live in a world where we're connected to everything except ourselves. Now that hit me in the chest. That was a kick. That was a roundhouse kick to my chest right there. And he was talking about Blaise Pascal saying that the downfall of humanity is that we are not able to spend time alone. Like a man is not able to to stay in solitude and that is his downfall. So he's saying the less comfortable you are with solitude, the more likely it is that you won't know yourself. Or aversion to solitude is really an aversion to boredom. He goes on to say that rather than being addicted to the stimulants, we're addicted to a state of not being bored. So it's not that we're addicted to the TV or the phone. All we're addicted to is the fact that we do not want to be bored. Almost anything that controls our life in an unhealthy way finds its roots in our realization that we dread the nothingness of nothing. We can't imagine just being rather than doing i mean zatarina is just kicking me in my chest with all of these he added though that fortunately there is a solution the only way to avoid being ruined by this fear like any fear is to face it it's to let the boredom take you where it wants so that you can deal with whatever it is that is really going on with your sense of self Embracing boredom allows you to discover novelty in things you don't think are novel. Everything that has done so much to connect us has simultaneously isolated us. And we have an instinctive aversion to simply being. 
listen and then the last point i noted was without realizing the value of solitude we are overlooking the fact that once the fear of boredom is faced it can actually provide its own stimulation man them fighting words so based on on this recommendation from zatrena through the philosophy of blaise pascal um i think i'll be trying to spend some more time alone i do feel that sometimes i am afraid of being bored you know like what is boredom so i'll challenge myself sometime for the rest of this month and into next month to just sit and be and see what comes to me in boredom just sit for like 10 minutes let's start at three let's start at three and work our way up so that was my interesting tidbit for this month now we're moving on to what i'm reading so currently i'm reading heart talk by cleo wade and i've never read a book like this before because it's not really a self-help book but it is a kind of self-help book because the subtext is um on the th- yeah so it's heart talk poetic wisdom for a better life and that's exactly what it is she has these nuggets this interesting information that she presents in short poems um short kind of letters of inspiration and she encourages encourages you to interface with the book however you want to interface with it so mark up in it highlighting it um tear out the page stick it on your fridge kind of thing and she even has some notes written in some of the margins i'm I'm really enjoying this book and i think um anyone who is looking to i don't know kind of get some inspiration but not read a motivational book (laughs) will also enjoy this and let me just get a snippet from it so i'll go to one of the pages that i've saved Hmm, I don't know what to share with you. Everything is just something worth sharing, to be honest. There's a poem. I'm going to share a poem and like one page of wisdom. So the poem is entitled, Where to Find It? Kept looking for goodness. Kept asking everyone where I could find the good in the world. It was not until I looked within and grew my own goodness that I began to see it everywhere. I don't really read poetry well, but I really love that one. Um, And this one says, you deserve your dreams. Who else could they possibly belong to more than you? Knowing that we deserve gets us one step closer to having it. Every thought, vision, and idea that frequently occurs in our psyche happens for a reason. Our dreams are our destiny's way of communicating with us. We spend far too much of our time looking at our dreams through the veils of the challenges that live within us and our desires. When we approach our dreams with the energy that says, I can, I will, and I am deserving, we are not only much more likely to attain them, we are also able to better enjoy the road that leads us to them. Yeah, so that was a little nugget of inspiration. And then the previous thing was a poem, a short poem. So I love, love, love Heart Talk by Cleo Wade. I think I'm almost done. I hope to be done by the end of this week. Maybe not, but I'm trying. Um, so the, the books I just finished reading were The Child by Fiona Barton. And the only review I could give that one on Goodreads was one word, riveting. Because it took me to some high highs, some low lows, some what the hell. Um, so I, re- I really enjoyed that, that read. 
And then before that, I was reading The Rich Bitch Guide to Money and Love by Nicole Lapin. Uh, which some, some of the tips were take your fun money from your account in cash so that when the cash is out, the party is over. So you don't overspend. You take all that money that you want to spend on fun things. You take it out in cash. When the cash is done, party done. And then she also added that 70% of your budget should, be, should go to essentials. That's housing, transportation, and groceries. 15% to your end game, which includes like saving for down the road, uh, investments, and that kind of thing. And then 15% to extras, the fun things you want to spend on, like gym membership, a manicure, pedicure, that kind of thing. So those were the two very helpful chunks I got from that and I wanted to share with you. And then the last book I want to mention um, that I've already read is Leave Me by Gail Foreman. Listen, like if you are anywhere near childbearing or thinking about childbearing or if you already have a child, it's a good book to read. I think it just definitely highlights things that no one ever talks about, like the fact that mothers do have um, postpartum stress or postpartum depression, more accurately, and how that manifests in people's lives, are, it, it will be different. And how long it takes and all those things. So I think this, this is a really good, really interesting kind of look at that. Because she just upped and left her kids, her husband, everything. She didn't need a break. And in losing them, she found herself. So I thought that was interesting. Now it's time for the dream line goal update. So for the past two months or so, I have been working on maintaining my morning, afternoon, and evening routines. Uh, my morning routine at this time is supposed to be um, waking up, obviously, saying a prayer, uh, adding an affirmation for the day, if you're not religious, speaking goodness into the universe, uh, and then I will do devotion, some kind of devotional. They've mostly been revolving around trust and love. Um, and then I read a few news stories, ensure I keep in, I'm keeping up with the news, scan through my emails just to make sure I make a mental note of what to eat, what to reply to, and then start the day. Um, I either go to the gym after that in the morning, or I'll say that for the evening. The midday routine is just to keep my brain active, so I'm thinking about plans, future plans that I have, and how to keep working towards those throughout the day. Um, I also make a note of jotting down ideas I have for particular things I want to plan in the future. So I've started a Google Drive document for that. So that's good. And then in the evenings, I either have tea, my famous green tea with peppermint oil and honey, or do some yoga to kind of relax myself and to wind down. And just before bed, I say what I've been grateful for or what I was grateful for for that day and one thing that worked well in my favor, one thing I can improve on so I start the day with an affirmation, end the day with gratitude so I think that has been a good routine so the song of the month it's gonna be Cardi B and not because she had her baby this month but because I absolutely love this song it's I Like It Like That um, featuring Bad Bunny and J Balvin I just feel like it's a very good it's a good pick me up kind of song it's from her album Invasion of Privacy uh, if you're having a good day if you're having a bad day if you're in between if you just want to twerk 
this is the song for you. I don't even know the Spanish part, but I still sing it because the song is fire. Like everything about the song is just amazing. It's a really good song. I really sang me sing a lot though. It's a very good song. And I like it. Now, obviously, honorable mention goes to Kiki. Do you love me? I ran it. Um, in my feelings by Drake is just a very classic kind of heartbreak hotel version of Drake. He's always that guy who you know will be singing the breakup songs. He's always that guy who will be in his feelings. So this song is definitely a banger. I have no idea what the rest of the song says, but I love the chorus, and you can catch me singing the chorus in a club near you. And then, quote of the month. We're going to break this up now. We're going to call it a night. We're going to close everything up and end with a quote of the month. So the quote of the month, this month, is from Tony Robbins. And it says, stay committed to your decisions, but flexible in your approach. Stay committed to your decisions, but flexible in your approach. I just want to remind us that fair is false evidence appearing real and change is creating hope and nurturing genuine empowerment so let's let go of fear and embrace change have a great month see you in august